0: Chapter 6 of The Copper Princess. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Betsy Bush, April 2009. The Copper Princess by Kirk Munro. Chapter 6 A Mile Beneath the Surface. Swallow, lad. "'Mark Trefethen uttered the words, and Peveril, dimly comprehending him, instinctively obeyed. "'The effect of that simple muscular action was marvellous. "'His brain was instantly cleared of its weight, the ringing in his ears ceased, "'and his hearing was restored to its normal keenness. "'At the same time he was happily conscious that his stomach had been restored to its proper position. "'This is Platt of bottom level, and we're a mile underground,' continued Mark." They put us down in one-thirty this time, but often they do it ten seconds better. "'I wonder how much longer it would take to drop from a balloon one mile above the earth,' reflected Peveril," at the same time gazing about him with a lively interest. The place in which he stood was a spacious room, hewn from solid rock, lighted by several lanterns and little flaring mine lamps. It was also smoothly floored with iron plates— and from it a narrow-gauge railway led away into the darkness articles of clothing and dinner-pails were hung about the walls and on the side opposite the shaft was a bench of rude workmanship every few minutes an iron car holding several tons of copper rock was run into the platte with a tremendous clatter from the little railway that penetrated to every drift and stope of the level each of these cars was pushed by a team of three wild-looking men who were stripped naked to the waist. Their haggard faces and naked bodies were begrimed with powder-smoke, stained red with ore-dust, and gleamed in the fitful lamplight with trickling rivulets of perspiration. The car-pushers were all foreigners—Italians, Bohemians, Hungarians, or Poles—and the uncouth jargon of their shouts intensified the wildness of their appearance. Theirs was the very lowest form of mine drudgery and but few of them were possessed of intelligence or ambition sufficient to rise them above it. One, who was accounted somewhat brighter than his fellows, by whom he was regarded as a leader, had indeed been promoted on trial by the Timberwas to a position in his own gang. He was a perfect brute for strength, but so densely ignorant and of such sullen disposition that when a better man was offered, in the person of Dick Peveril. The boss was only too glad to return him to his hated task of car-pushing and accept the newcomer in his place. His sentence of degradation pronounced only the day before had been received as a personal affront by every wild-eyed car-pusher of the mine. All knew that someone must fill the place from which their leader had been ousted, and all were prepared to hate him the moment his identity should be disclosed. Thus, as Peveril stumbled awkwardly out of the cage in which he had just made that breathless, mile-deep descent, he was instantly spotted as being a new man, and a team of car-pushers, slacking their thirst at a water-barrel in one corner of the plat, gazed at him with scowling intentness that they might minutely describe his appearance to their fellows. As he knew nothing of the circumstances through which a place had been made for him, he paid no attention to these men, "'other than to note their savage appearance as a feature of his novel surroundings. "'In fact, he had barely time to take a single comprehensive glance around the plat "'before a man who had been one of his fellow passengers in the cage remarked sneeringly, "'Pretty well scared, weren't you, young feller?' "'Yes, I was,' replied Peveril, turning and facing his questioner. "'But how did you know it?' "'By the way you grabbed my arm.' "'If you'd done it again, I'd have punched your head. "'For I don't allow no man to catch hold on me that way.' "'Peveril had already recognized the speaker's face, "'but without deigning a further reply, "'he turned to Mark Trefethen and said, "'Will you kindly give me the name of this unpleasant person, "'as I wish to file it away in my memory for future reference?' "'Person be blowed!' exclaimed the man, "'stepping forward with a menacing gesture.' "'What do you mean by calling me names, you damned?' "'Shut up, Mike Connell, and go about your business,' commanded the timber boss. "'Come, lad, he's not worth noticing.' And thus saying, Mark Trefethen led Peveril away. Although the car-pushers had not caught the words of this brief conversation, they had readily understood Mike Connell's threatening gesture towards the newcomer, and several times during that day— One or more of them might have been seen in low-voiced consultation with the scowling-faced Irishman. "'Here, lad, fill lamp with sunlight,' said the timber boss, as he and his protégé were leaving the plat. First rule of mine is always have a lamp in trim, and carry candle, besides plenty of matches in pocket.' With this, Mark scooped up in his hand a small quantity of a stiff whitish substance from an open box beside them. And stuffed it into his lamp. The box was indeed marked sunlight, but when Peveril followed the companion's example, he found its contents to be merely solidified paraffin. With their lamps well filled and flaring brightly, the two walked for half a mile through a dry and well ventilated gallery, which had been driven by drill and blast through solid rock, and from which thousands of tons of copper had been taken now peveril learned for the first time what timbering a mine meant and realized the necessity for the huge piles of great logs that he had seen above ground in close proximity to the shaft not only had it been encased in all four sides by logs mortised together and laid up like the walls of a house but the drift through which he now walked was timbered from end to end its roof was upheld by huge tree trunks standing from ten to twenty feet apart, and occasionally in groups of three or four together. Supported by them, and pressing against the roof or hanging, were other great timbers known as wall-plates, and behind these was a compactly laid sheathing of split timber, spoken of as lagging. As the two men advanced deeper into the drift, an occasional ore-car pushed by its panting human team rumbled heavily past— while every now and then came dull tremulous shocks like those of an earthquake these were blasts on other levels or in other parts of the one on which they were at sound of a confused shouting from somewhere ahead of them they stood still until with a crashing roar that bellowed and echoed through the galleries like a peal of loudest thunder one of these blasts was fired close at hand a minute later they were enveloped in a pungent smoke through which twinkled dimly a score of lights. Brawny, half-naked forms were already wielding pick and shovel amid the masses of rock just loosened. A powerful air-drill was being placed in position for another attack upon the wall of tough rock, and a small timber gang was struggling to hoist a huge log that they called a stall into position. "'Here's the place, lad. Take hold and give a lift.' "'Now, boys, together!' shouted Mark Trefethin and in another moment Dick Peveril found himself hard at work. Within a few minutes the new hand was as begrimed and dripping with perspiration as any member of the gang, all of whom exchanged significant glances as they noted the willingness with which he exerted his great strength. Never had the heavy timbers been set in place so quickly, and never in their remembrance had a green hand caught on so readily. "'He won't last long, though, at that pace,' "'remarked one of the older men to Trefethen "'as he paused to wipe the sweat-drops from his eyes. "'He's too fresh.' "'Perhaps not,' replied the timber boss. "'We'll give him a bit of try, though, before dropping him.' "'And then he walked away to inspect the operations of another gang "'in a distant part of the mine. "'Late that day, as Peveril's first shift of work drew towards its close, "'he ached in every part of his body.' but was learning his new trade so rapidly that his fellows were already beginning to regard him as one of the best men in their gang. He had made several trips to and from the foot of the timber shaft in company with others, and so when shortly before quitting time the foreman of his gang sang out, "'Oh, Peril, just run back to the stack and bring us one of them small sprags. Hurry now!' The new man started without a moment's hesitation. He found his way without difficulty to the timber-pile, and began a search for such a piece as he had been told to fetch. The better to see what he was doing, he removed the lamp from his hat, and held it low in front of him, in which position his own face was clearly revealed by its light. While he was thus engaged, a miner, who, with his day's work finished, was walking towards the plat, paused to regard him. The man's face bore a malicious expression, and he seemed to meditate some mischief towards the unsuspecting youth, for he clenched his fists and took a step in Peveril's direction. Just then the rumble of an approaching car caused him to pause and wait until it should pass. As it came abreast of him he recognized one of its pushers, and drew him aside, while the car, still propelled by two members of its team, moved on out of sight." Without a word, the miner directed his companion's attention to the figure still bending over the log pile, and made several significant gestures. The brutish face of the pusher lighted with an ugly leer, expressive of understanding, and he began to move cautiously towards the man who had that day displaced him from the timber gang. As he had left his light on the car, there was nothing to warn Peveril of his approach— until he was close at hand, and about to deliver a cowardly blow. At that instant the mysterious premonition that always gives warning of human presence caused the young man to turn his head. Although he was too late to avoid the impending blow, it was deflected by his movement, and instead of stunning him it merely caused him to stagger and drop his lamp. He also partially warded off a closely following second and then his own terrible fist was planted with crashing force, full on his assailant's jaw. The man uttered a scream of agony, covered his face with his hands, and started to run. At this moment the other two car-pushers appeared on the scene, and with fierce cries began a furious attack upon the young man whom they had sworn either to kill or drive from the mine. At this time the battleground was only dimly illumined, By the flickering light of the miner who was thus far sole spectator of the contest. Peveril fought in dogged silence, but his assailants uttered shrill cries in an unknown tongue. Attracted by these, other lights began to appear from both directions, and all at once Mark Trefethen's gruff tones were heard demanding to know what was going on. At this sound, Peveril uttered a joyful shout, while at the same moment, the light in Mike Connell's hat was extinguished. Recognizing his protégé's voice, the timber-boss sprang to his side, and within another minute the two car-pushers would have been annihilated had not the coming of a second car given them a reinforcement of three more half-naked savages. Thus beset and outnumbered by more than two to one, Trefethen thought it no shame to call for aid, and uplifting his mighty voice, He sent rolling and echoing through the rock-bound galleries the rallying cry of the Cornishmen. One and all for Cornwall! One and all! End of chapter 6